We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. One of the most disturbing diagnoses in medicine is cancer. Even though treatment and cures have advanced dramatically the road, never an easy one. Jocelyn Larson has recently embarked on that road. She has breast cancer. She's an English professor at Missouri S&T in Rolla. We know her because her husband, John, is operations manager here at St. Louis Public Radio. Jocelyn has been very public about her cancer and has been putting out a lot of information about what she's going through on social media. We asked her if she'd be willing to share the experience with us, hoping that what she's going through and how she's handling it would be helpful to other cancer patients, their families, and their loved ones. She joins me in studio. Wonderful to see you, Jocelyn. Good to see you too, Don. Why are you going so public on this? Why? Well, my reason, I have two reasons really for going public about my cancer. And the first is when I first got diagnosed or really when I knew the diagnosis was coming, I started to consume a lot of media and videos of other women who had documented their journey through cancer. And so this is kind of my way of giving back or adding to that pool because there's just there's never enough perspectives. There's never too many stories. Um, and then the second reason is because my nature is that unless I feel like I'm working on a project or observing something objectively, um, I feel it makes me feel more nervous. So it's a way of sort of compartmentalizing it for me. You know, I, I have to marvel at you going through something like this. I mean, you're ebullient, you're upbeat, and you're wanting to help other people. I'm, I'm curious as to just how you manage that. I mean, it's got to be difficult. You mentioned being nervous. Of course you're nervous. Mm -hmm. But how do you keep up this spirit you've got? I'm lucky that I have a really fantastic support system from my husband to my kids to the people that I work with. Uh, so those people really keep me bolstered. And, and also just by embarking on this journey and by going public with it, I've met a lot of other women and a lot of other people in general who have faced cancer. And there's, there's this community that sort of develops around somebody who has this kind of a diagnosis that's really encouraging. And that's not to say that I don't have bad days. I have good days and bad days. And the best advice that I've gotten is it's okay to have a bad day and to break down, but don't pack your bags and live there. Because this is only really essentially a year of my life for the rest of my life. What, what are some of your innermost thoughts as you, as you face the next year? My innermost thoughts... Well, I suppose I spend a lot of time focusing on what's to come after. Um, but I also know that this diagnosis has fundamentally changed who I am. Even once I'm done with my chemotherapy and my surgery and my radiation, I'm going to be on hormone therapy for the next 10 years, which essentially is pushing me into early menopause. I'm 36 years old, so I'm going to have to shut down the function of my ovaries because my tumor is hormone receptive. So that changes my perspective on you know what womanhood is and what it means to be a woman with this kind of a tumor. Do you remember what your thoughts were, initial thoughts, when you got the diagnosis? Mm, 
I can tell you that when we first got the diagnosis, there was a lot of fear because, of course, the the haunting idea is this is something that's deadly. And if it's not taken care of, then it could very well mean the end of my life. Um, so I, I can tell you when we first got the diagnosis, my husband and I, we ended up out at a McDonald's. And because it was – we've always been very healthy eaters, very active. Um, but we ended up at a McDonald's because we just wanted junk food just to feel better. And um, we started talking about the prospects of what does this mean? If I, don't, if I don't survive this, what does that mean for us and for our family? And we both broke down and started crying and we just opened up and, and we were ugly crying in the middle of a McDonald's. And what was so sweet about that moment was there was a kid who was working behind the counter who observed us crying. And he runs out and out of his own paycheck, he bought us two ice creams because uh, he said, I didn't know what you were going through, but I just knew you needed these. And, and that, was, that was so sweet. I thought you were going to say he brought you a Happy Meal. <laughs> <laughs> try, yeah. try to offset that. Right. Um, going back to the diagnosis and the fact that you're you're putting out videos on Facebook primarily and other social media as well, or pretty much just Facebook. YouTube and Facebook. YouTube and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Well, we have one here that uh, that was made just after receiving the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to what you sounded like uh, that day. So today is day one. The first day after learning the results of my biopsy and confirming that I do have breast cancer. It has been a really weird day uh, because it's also the day that we first announced to all of our friends and family that this is going on. We, of course, told some strategic people like our moms and my prayer group at work knew about it, um, as did you know my some key people at my church. And, uh, so, so there were some people who knew about it and who had been praying for us already. But today was the first day that we really got to see how much love and support is actually out there, and that was a really cool thing. Jocelyn Larson, uh, you mentioned the prayer group. Faith has got to play a big role in this for you, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of those things that keeps me wanting to put on a happy face when I'm out. And and it helps me know that I'm going to be getting through it. And it gives me that kind of strength. But that prayer group was especially uh, helpful because when I, when I got the diagnosis, the woman who leads the prayer group, she came out and she visited me. And it was a way of reminding me that I'm going to have that connection and that there are people who are thinking about me. And and since I've been added to a number of prayer groups, and I can tell you that I feel every single prayer. I know we dog on thoughts and prayers sometimes, but knowing that there's somebody who has taken a moment out of their day to think about me and my condition helps soften the blow of of feeling it's easy to fall into despair but knowing that there's somebody out there who's sort of propping me up with their thoughts with their prayers that helps uh but then that prayer group also did real helpful things like they organized um a a sort of a a a cooking uh, party and they brought food for me and my family when i was too weak or not able to provide that sort of a service to my family, they showed up with those things. And so that was really helpful as well. 
This is becoming a food-centric discussion. It is becoming a food-centric discussion. <laughs> Let's talk about that treatment. Chemo is something that uh, people hear a lot about but don't know much about, but a lot of people fear it. Um, tell me about that treatment. What, what do you go through when you undergo a chemo session? So when I go to chemo, there's usually it's, – it's almost like a cattle call. There's just a ton of people in there with all different kinds of cancers who um, show, show up at relatively the same time, and then we get called in. First, I have my uh, blood drawn, and they check my labs to make sure that I'm healthy enough to actually receive the chemo that day. Then I see my doctor, and she talks me through what she saw. And uh, then I go into this, what they call a chemo pod, which sounds so sci-fi. But basically, it's just a room where there's a, a bunch of chairs and beds and the IV where they'll hook us up to the various chemo, uh, chemotherapy medicines. But of course, first they give us a number of uh, anti-nausea medications and steroids to fight off the side effects, which really takes a lot longer than the actual chemotherapy does. And... When I walked into this, I thought that chemo meant a lot of vomiting, a lot of sickness. But because of those medications, that's not really the case anymore. Um, it's just really more exhaustion and headachey. How often do you have to undergo that? My first four cycles were every other week on a Monday. And I'm about to walk into a 12-week, uh, uh, every week session of a different kind of a chemotherapy drug. We have a, a, a clip of uh, of uh, your first chemo session, I guess. it's uh, Let's listen to that, and we can explain what's going on. The first thing they do at the hospital is take my blood to run my labs. The nurse asks a long string of questions, and I hope that none of my answers makes her stop what she's doing. Then it's time to stab my port. This is my 13-year-old's favorite part. Miles, by the way, is my chemo companion and videographer. How is Miles and, and others in the family taking all of this? Miles has taken it pretty great. I mean, everybody was a little jarred at first, and, and I think they probably don't tell me what all of their fears are. But Miles has been awesome. In fact, uh, what's unique about Miles is that uh, Miles is our youngest, and, and he's always been interested in shaving shaving head and, you know, different color hair. And so I always used to joke that um, I always wanted to shave my head just to see what it felt like. So if I ever came down with a cancer diagnosis, then, you know, Miles would be the one that I'd call and, and Miles would shave my head. And so from that moment, we really bonded over this. And, and unfortunately, Miles is back in school now, so um, he can't come to their chemotherapy sessions as, as much as he'd like me to. But. Well, you don't have a hair on your head now as a result of the chemo, I That's assume. That's right, yeah. What's it like dealing with that? I mean, none of us, <laughs> I don't have any hair, but I have it for a different kind of reason. What's it like, particularly for a woman? Woman, do you think going through that? I think it's really unique for a woman, really. See, I was raised, my grandfather was bald all of his adult life. So throughout my grandparents' house, there was always celebrations of baldness. Bald is beautiful. And so I was never, I wasn't particularly afraid of shaving my head once it came down to that. But since then, I've no no noticed that the responses to my shaved head is very different from the responses that a man would get. So it's not it's not unusual to see a man shave his head down all the way to the skin, but it's very unusual for a woman to be shaved all the way down to the skin. And what I've noticed is that there's 
there's almost a visceral reaction to that. Um, and I don't think it has anything to do with uh, society's standards of beauty. I, I, I really I, like I think we can blame other things on that, but I don't think we can blame this on that. And what I've really come to notice is um, I think I think that this has more to do with sort of the moral and religious kind of undertones of our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this might be a case of me having a hammer and thinking everything is a nail because that's what I study is I study religious language and symbolism in the popular culture. But I've noticed that when when people talk about my bald head, it's like they want to let me know that they're not offended by it. And and close friends will say things like, you know, oh, it's okay that you're bald or or you don't have to wear your head wrap around me. And And I've had that so many times that it's almost like exposing a private part. I guess one of the ways you're dealing with this, I, I saw, I guess it was on Facebook, you, you did a kind of a tutorial on how to put the, the headscarf on and how to, how to do that. Was that kind of therapeutic for you? It was therapeutic. And I knew once I was going into this that when I knew I was going to lose all my hair, I decided that I wanted to do this in a way that was sort of, it was my decision. And that's why I shaved my head, actually, before I lost it to chemotherapy. Um, And so playing with the head wraps is one way that I make it my own instead of having it be something that's happening to me. And it's very attractive. I mean, it's very stylish, and it looks great, and and you look great. Thank you. Just 30 seconds left. Um, What advice do you have for men or women who might be facing something like this? They say attitude is everything, and and it really is trying to find the humor in all of these moments. There really is a lot to laugh at, and it's okay to dip into that sort of sort of morbid humor if you need to do it, that dark humor. Um, but find reasons to laugh every day because that's what's going to get you through it. Well, the old man helps in that regard, doesn't he, John? That he does, absolutely. (laughs) He makes me laugh too, but probably not for the same reasons. (laughs) Jocelyn Larson, thank you so much for being with us. You're going to come back and talk to us from time to time about what you're going through, aren't you? Oh, sure. We look forward to that. Thank you, Don. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Tomorrow on St. Louis on the Air, we'll talk suicide prevention awareness, and we'll hear from Sauce Magazine about new restaurants to try this month. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.org, or you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, the new Google Podcast app, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Don Marsh.